The words that I'd like to direct your attention to this morning are found in the book of First Peter. We'll briefly look at uh, Titus chapter 3 and Romans 13, but First Peter is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Let me read verses 13 through 25 of chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do, or, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ has also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Please pray with me. Lord, it seems that um, we need your grace now as we engage this Scripture and this theme of submission more than at any time, maybe even in, in our life. For Father, we need grace to both understand and apply it. And we, we very much need grace to embrace it. For Lord, we all struggle with selfishness and pride and self-will and we need your grace to help us to put sin to death so that we might truly live to righteousness lord give grace to each of our hearts and give wisdom and clarity to me as i seek to explain your word that we might rightly understand it and have discernment as we seek to apply your truth to our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems that in uh, each period of church history, there's um, a watershed issue that seems to divide the sheep from the goats. Those who are genuine believers and those who are uh, conforming just to a, a cultural understanding of Christianity. In the early church, the issue seemed to center on a willingness to get baptized. Because to get baptized was to identify with Christ, one who was a rebel against uh, the powers that be, and who was crucified as a criminal. And there was a cost that came with associating oneself with him. During the Reformation, the, a culture that was dominated by the Roman Catholic Church... Uh, the watershed issue seemed to be a willingness to part from that church that had its tendrils into uh, seemingly every nation, especially in the West, and to embrace the five solas, 
to trust Christ alone for salvation and the authority of God's word alone. I'd say a hundred years ago, it seemed that it was holding to the scriptures as the inerrant word of God. Those who would embrace liberalism demonstrated they didn't really trust the Bible, but they trusted uh, men's interpretation of what they thought Christianity should look like. And I'd say in our own place and time, given the culture of individualism and self-exaltation, particularly in America, I think that the, the clearest evidence that a person has been born again centers on this issue of submission. And as I thought about it, I actually think this could, this may be the greatest issue throughout history of what would demonstrate is a person truly born again because the miracle that's taking place in regeneration, we live no longer for ourselves but for Christ. We're now worshipers of Him, no longer worshipers ourselves, is demonstrated in a willingness to submit even to our hurt. And in our current sermon series on regeneration, we've been looking at evidences of regeneration. We looked at uh, repentance and holiness and love. And today we're going to examine submission. Submission or subjection uh, was primarily a military term uh, in the original language, which meant to rank under. And it came to mean simply to submit to the orders of somebody else. And the word can have the idea either of forced submission or voluntary submission. But in the New Testament, almost always it's in the middle voice when it's a verb and it it connotes voluntary submission. And this is seen in a number of relationships uh, in Scripture. Uh, We see Christians are called to submit to God's law in Romans 8, to governments and magistrates in Titus 3, Romans 13. We'll look at those in a minute. To elders of churches, to Christian leaders, wives to their own husbands, slaves to their masters. And the fact that submission is uh, voluntary demonstrates that this is not submission that is driven by fear, but it's submission that is a, uh, driven by a conviction of worship. It's not cringing obedience of spineless weaklings, but it is the free acceptance of duty. And it's, it's very important that we get that. That's why you don't have apostles um, going out of their way to assert their authority, but instead they plead on the basis of what Christ has done, on the basis of God's word, submit to God's word. They have the authority to do that, but their appeal is to the reality of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And they don't, that's why you don't have leaders using threats to call people to submit, but rather it's an appeal to their conscience. And that's why Christians shouldn't threaten or intimidate uh, to get their subordinates to follow them, but rather appeal to their conscience. So submission for Christians, it's voluntary. It's willful. It's done at, really as an act of worship. And there are three texts that present submission as evidence of Regeneration Again, what, we're, we're, what I've done is I've tried to find what are the clear evidence in the Scripture when, they, when you have texts that speak about regeneration that point to evidences of what that regeneration looks like. And again, we've looked at love and holiness and repentance, but re, uh, submission uh, comes up at least three times. One could argue also in Ephesians as well. But it's, it's pretty evident in, in three times different texts of Scripture. Titus 3, Romans 13, and here in 1 Peter. Peter's presentation, which is where we're going to spend the majority of our time, um, is the most comprehensive in its call to submission. And that's why we're going to focus on it in particular. But I want to begin by looking at Peter's command to submit to authorities and briefly show its connection to regeneration. And then I'm going to do the same thing in Titus and in Romans 13, 
and then uh, even draw out what are the the evidences that these or the what are the reasons along with the connection to regeneration that these letters point to for why we should submit. So again, what I want you to see in these texts is first the command to submit in conjunction in con, sorry in connection to regeneration, and then secondly the reasons they provide for submission. So first of all, First Peter two verse thirteen. He says, submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So this is actually the most comprehensive call to submission because it's not just to governments, though he actually delineates governors and kings. But he says literally to every human institution, that word institution is the word creation. In fact, it's almost always used to refer to God creating. But here it's everything that man has created. When there's an authority structure, an institution that man has created, submit to it. Wherever you're at in that institution, that structure. And the whole letter of First Peter, you see, is, is set in the context of regeneration. We've already looked at that uh, in First Peter 1.3. But I also want to point out in verse 21 of, of uh, chapter 2, when Peter says, you have been called for this purpose. That word called, as we saw last week, is a, another metaphor for regeneration. It, it's effectual calling. When God calls a person out of darkness into light, out of death into life. So that word called really is referring to regeneration. And there he says, you were called for this purpose of submission. And Peter delineates here that submission includes kings and governors and magistrates. So this would include by implication police officers and federal agents that serve as magistrates of a national government. And so Peter focuses upon the breadth, every human institution. Now I want to look briefly at Titus in Romans and their calls to submit. Titus 3, verse 1, begins actually at, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, remind them to be subject to rulers. So this is something Paul has already taught. So he just tells Titus, remind them of these things. This is something they already know. And then in explanation of the command, Paul explicitly cites regeneration in verse 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And then he returns a few verses later against warnings, against factionalism. He's saying instead of being, uh, creating factions and being rebellious, pursue good works by submitting to those authorities. And so the principal gr- grounding of Paul's exhortation to submit is Christians have been saved no longer to live for themselves, but they've been changed. They've been born again. And, and they need to remember that just as God was gracious to them to save them in their hardness of hearts when they were rebels against God that they too need to, in recalling God's grace, be gracious to other unbelievers, and in particular those in authority. So they need to recall God's grace upon them and show the same grace to those in authority by going out of their way to be kind and good in following their policies. The third text, Romans 13, actually makes no explicit reference to regeneration Immediately, But as you recall, Romans 12 is the, the, a chapter earlier. Paul began to explain the implications of the gospel that he had preached uh, in chapters 1 through 11. And you know that the central piece of that gospel he, is Romans chapter 6, where he talks about regeneration. So it's not a stretch to say that Romans 13 is the application of regeneration when it comes to governmental authorities. And in Romans 13, 1 through 7, 
Paul gives two reasons why Christians should submit to governing authorities. Because God has placed all authorities over them, he says. And also, since God has placed all authorities in their place, those who resist those authorities are therefore resisting God. God has put those authorities in place, and so if you resist those authorities, you are not just resisting those authorities, you are resisting God, whom you claim to follow. And then in Titus, Paul suggests again that grace expressed towards Christians in regeneration is what should motivate them to show grace and kindness to their governmental authorities. So those are the three reasons in those texts for why we should submit. God has placed all authorities over us. God has placed all authorities in their place. And we don't want to resist him. And then thirdly, because of God's grace towards us, we need to express grace towards other people. Now I want to turn to our main text. And, and look at five reasons that Peter gives for submission. So there's going to be a total of eight reasons. We've already looked at the first three. Now I want to focus on the five that Peter gives. Let's look first of all at, at the first reason he gives. Reasons that the reason Christians submit to their authority is because they seek to honor Christ. They seek to honor Christ. Notice it says... Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to those sent by him. We're to submit for the Lord's sake. That is for his honor. We submit because we don't live for ourselves anymore, but for his sake, for him. And so we reflect our submission to Christ in submitting to lesser authorities, those who are authorities under him. Just like a private in the army will submit to their NCO. Not because their NCO is a great guy. Most of them aren't. Um, but because they have sworn to follow the commands uh, from the President of the United States on down. So their submission is ultimately a submission to their government whom they've, and the Constitution that they've sworn to uphold. But they demonstrate that submission in submitting to all of their leaders. And likewise, Peter's point is that Christians submit out of their loyalty to Christ. They demonstrate their submission to Christ in submitting to the person that's just over them. And this, I think, brings us now to the only qualification for the command to submit to authorities that's given in Scripture. So we, in other words, we need to submit to all our authorities. And there's only one qualification. And that's this. We submit unless what they ask us to do would lead us to violate God's instruction. Unless what somebody's asking us to do would lead us to disobey God, we need to submit to them. And this is, of course, why the Hebrew midwives refused to follow Pharaoh's instructions. And why Daniel appealed. Hey, that's why we read Daniel 1. It's a great ex example of what submission looks like. Not wanting to dishonor God, he appealed to this ungodly authority over him. And God granted him favor and blessed them. And it's why Daniel's three young friends, though, refused to bow the knee to um, this golden image. It's not wanting to disobey God is why Daniel continued to pray, even though there was a command that was given no longer to pray to any God, but Darius. And then the apostles faced a similar decision when the Sanhedrin forbade Peter and John to stop preaching. And, and you guys know very well what they said. They said, we must obey God rather than men. Right? And so if an authority is telling us to do something that would lead to disobeying God, we must disobey that order. Because again, the reasons we submit to authorities is because we submit to Him. It's about Him. Submission is all about God. It's all a reflection of our worship of Him. And the loyalty that we have to governments, even the loyalty that we have have to one another it's not blind loyalty it's ultimately a loyalty to god and we have to use our heads we have to think 
Is this what God would have me do? Everything we do should be driven in a desire to please Him. And so when it comes to submitting to authorities, the key question we have to ask, we have to ask ourselves is what they asking, the, our authorities asking us to do going to lead us to disobey God? And if it isn't going to lead us to disobey, we need to submit. And that leads us to the second reason Peter gives, because submission silences folly. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. The phrase doing right it could be translated doing good. And it parallels the instruction that Paul gives Titus to pass on to the Cretans that instead of rebelling against the government over them, they need to seek to do good. It's the same thing. Instead of rebelling against authorities, do good to the authorities. Bless them. Show kindness and respect. And Paul says, by doing good, you will silence men's ignorance. That word, that phrase to to silence literally means to muzzle. It's it's used in 1 Corinthians 9.9, describing a muzzling of the ox. And notice what's being put to silence. Ignorance. It's it's the ignorance, that rebellious aspect of man that chooses not to believe in God that has rejected the gospel. In their ignorance of the gospel, people assume that that men are only motivated out of self-interest. That they're only going to rebel because they're seeking what they want. Or they're only going to submit because they're afraid of the consequences. But when they see people in their right mind submit willfully, maybe joyfully, even to their own hurt, it proves that a miracle has happened to them. It proves they truly have been born again. Submission silences ignorance because it forces them to uh, reckon with the truth. To steal a line from C.S. Lewis, when unbelievers see genuine submission then they recognize these Christians either must be liars, they're not really submitting, they're lunatics, or they truly are the Lord's. They belong to the Lord. And notice that Peter's words here have a really an evangelistic bent. It it parallels what he says in in chapter 3, verse 15, when he says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that the thing in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. He, he wants this to lead to an opportunity for the gospel. And this is the same impetus behind what he says a few verses later in chapter 3, verse 1, when he exhorts wives to submit to their own husbands. Notice he says, in the, in the same way, be submissive to your own husband, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So you recognize, for the unbelieving husband, the greatest evidence of the truth of the gospel, of the power of the blood of Christ to change people's hearts, the power of the word of God, is seen in the willing, kind, joyful, genuine submission of their wives. It has more powerful than the most sophisticated argument. It's living proof of their generation. And I mean that with, uh, in a double sense. It shows that they truly are alive from the dead. They're alive unto God. It's living proof. And so... If you want to be a good evangelist, what Peter is saying is learn to submit. If you really want to see people one to Christ, to be brought out of darkness into light, show them what it looks like to have a changed heart by submitting. So Christians should, first of all, submit to the, for the Lord's sake because they live for Him. Secondly, Voluntary submission has massive evangelistic power. 
And thirdly, Peter says Christians should submit because they're slaves of God. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. We're slaves of God. And when we were born again, we, before we were born again, we were slaves to the ignorance of our lusts. The lusts of our ignorance, sorry. Just following the passions of this world, we were, we were just the, the, uh, under the dominion of Satan. And he caused us to be born again, freeing us from our lusts so that we would no longer live for ourselves and for the empty things of this world, but for God himself. And so we wholeheartedly seek to submit to God's will. And as slaves, we don't use that freedom to justify our rebellion. We don't use our freedom to enslave ourselves again to the lusts of our ignorance. We use our freedom to honor God, as Paul says in Galatians. When he says, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. He says, I'm a slave of Christ, therefore I don't live for myself, I don't live for men, I live for Him. And for the same reason, I feel compelled to preach a message that I know is unpopular. Nobody in this room wants to hear that they should submit to their authorities, including myself. But I don't get the freedom to choose what to preach in God's Word. I have to preach what it says, because I'm not here to serve you ultimately or to serve myself. I'm here to serve my Lord. And I need to preach His Word as it's given. A slave cares for their master's interests, not their own. Slaves of Christ, likewise, they don't demand their rights. Rather, they call for right to be done. God's interest is their priority. And in America, we're so quick to um, invoke our freedoms, our rights as citizens. As Christians, it's good that we have those rights. It's good that we have some citizens, the, the, sorry, the, those rights as citizens. And we should take advantage of those. Paul did. But that shouldn't be the first thing we go to. That's not what we should be asking ourselves when it comes to hard decisions. Do I have a right to do this? No, we ask the question, God, I'm your slave. What do you want me to do? How can I best honor you? What will best lead to your exaltation? What will you be pleased with? The fact that servants of Christ seek God's interest is the very reason why Bunyan was willing to live 12 years in Bedford jail. He could have been released at any time if he just would have agreed to stop preaching. Just stop preaching. Preaching's hard work as it is. I mean, Bunyan, just retire. Go live a nice, quiet life. But he didn't because he recognized, ultimately, I'm a slave of Christ. He's called me to preach. I'm going to preach. And you, as my authority, you can put me in jail, but you cannot keep me from preaching. And if the consequence is I have to stay in jail for 12 years, so be it. And it was a heavy cost to Bunyan. Very unpleasant. Nearly drove him mad. Also, Marie Duran, imprisoned as a teenager for being a Protestant. She stayed 37 years in a tower smaller than this room. She could have exited at any time if she just would have agreed to take the Roman Mass. Basically to submit to the Roman Catholic Church. Which is what most French people, it was just part of being French essentially at that time. But recognizing that it, it, it taught a corrupt gospel, she would not submit. And therefore for 37 years she lived in a tower and resisted that temptation to capitulate. Because she was a servant of Christ. Not ultimately of the government and certainly not for herself. Fourthly, Christians submit because it finds favor with God. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this 
finds favor. I want you to note that, that finding favor is what is, is the motivation for submission here. And it's mentioned both in verse 19, also in verse 20. And we're going to discuss this. But first I want to discuss uh, the context for what, what finds favor. What is it that so pleases God? What is the nature of this submission that finds favor with God? And, and you'll see in verses 18 through 20, Peter's getting specific as to how this submission gets played out in daily life. He actually addresses real slaves. Right? We call ourselves slaves of Christ. It's somewhat of a metaphor because we seek to serve him. But Peter is addressing literal slaves, people who did not choose to be slaves. They were born in that condition or they were uh, captured and sold into that condition. They didn't choose their masters. They didn't choose their life circumstances. It was handed to them. Like Malcolm X famously said, they, they didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on them. And Peter's saying, you might not have chosen your circumstance, but you need to submit with all respect, even unto unjust suffering. Unto unreasonable people, he says. That, that Greek word means for unreasonable is crooked, twisted, perverted. So it's not just talking about people that are hard to understand. It's talking about wicked people. Submit even to twisted, perverted, cruel people. That's what it means. These were masters who had their faces dead set against these Christian slaves. And, and recognize these, these men had the power to make these slaves' lives really miserable. And, and the slaves would have had no recourse. And Peter says that they are to continue to submit even unto unjust suffering. Verse 20, what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when, what you do is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. That's a good phrase. Favor with God. It, Peter's likely citing that Old Testament idiom to find favor with God, like Daniel found favor in the eyes of his authorities. Uh, favor with God is what the psalmist is constantly asking for. To be a favorite of God. Maybe growing up in school you had teachers uh, who had favorites. My guess is they were probably not the class clowns. They probably weren't the, the insolent punks in the back of the class making d distraction. It was probably those students that were diligent, who were there to learn, who were eager, who were excited about the opportunity to grow. And they just sucked in every opportunity they had to learn from their teachers. Well, the same is true of God. He loves all of his children, but he also has favorites. And then for us as Americans, we, we're like, we have a hard time with that because we just think, well, everybody should, God should just love everybody the same. Well, he does love everybody, but the, the, the scripture is pretty clear that there are some he prefers over others. Just think about the parable of the talents, for instance, those he commends, good, good and faithful servant. And this is Peter's point here. You want to be a favorite of God? Submit even to unjust suffering. It's an incredible promise. And this point is regularly illustrated in Mark's gospel. As we saw that the ones who really grasped what Jesus was teaching were not the ones you'd expect. They weren't the high and mighty. They weren't those who had a swagger. But it was the Syrophoenician woman. The woman with the 12-year hemorrhage. Blind Bartimaeus. Just little kids that just were eager to come to Christ. Mary. And she broke what was truly valuable in that alabaster jar. 
to honor her Lord. You see, these people were not impressive in the world's eyes, but they had his favor. They were his favorites. The question is, do you want to gain God's favor? Do you want to be one of his favorites? And submit even to your own hurt. I think it's, it's well worth asking. When, when, when faced with a difficult situation, especially when an authority is asking you to do something that you're, you're opposed to for whatever reason, to ask yourself, do I want God's favor or do I want to follow my freedom? The Christian would say, I want his favor. I want his favor. And I'm struck by how the Bible is just gives repeated examples of people who had to submit to ungodly authorities and are kind of highlighted as heroes. You have Hagar, Jacob, Leah, Rachel, Joseph, Moses, Jephthah's daughter, David, Uriah the Hittite, Daniel, Esther, Nehemiah, John the Baptist, and of course Jesus. All of them had to submit to ungodly authorities. And this, of course, brings us to Jesus, the example Peter gives with Jesus when he says we should submit because we were called for this purpose. This is why we have regenerated. You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Peter is doing two things in these verses. First of all, he's lifting up Christ as the perfect example of submission. He submitted to ungodly authorities who were cruel, perverse, twisted men, not because he respected them, but because he loved the Father. All of Jesus' submission throughout his life was about his worship of the Father. So he's the perfect example of submission, number one. But two, he, Peter's pointing out this connection between regeneration and submission. Let's first note that Jesus presented again as this perfect example of what submission looks like. He, he submitted to cruel, unjust men. As he told Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you. Pilate, was, and when he was questioning, was... Was, was, was shocked by this man's unwillingness to talk back, to defend himself. But the point is, it wasn't because Christ was afraid of Pilate. At any moment, Christ could have sent thousands of angels just to flatten the world. But he wasn't there to assert his dominance. He was there to, be, to, to, to die on our behalf. He was submitting to the Father for a greater good. He trusted the Father's plan. And so he submitted to Pilate. And Peter then cites Isaiah 53, 9 to point out that unless Christ had fully submitted, none of us would be saved. We wouldn't have the chance to choose to submit. And instead, we would suffer for all eternity, for all of our rebellion. If Christ had not willingly submitted to ungodly authorities, to his hurt, an excruciating hurt, if he had not chosen to do that in submission to God the Father, we would none of us be saved. And so now that we are saved, we need to die to sin and live to righteousness. That's what we are called to. That's, that's what it means to be born again. We don't live for ourselves any longer, but we live for him who died and rose again on our behalf. As he says in verse 21, you have been called for this purpose. And so like Paul and Titus, Peter reminds his readers in verse 25 that they submit because they've been transformed. They, they no longer 
look to themselves and their own wants to guide their decisions. They look to God. They trust His leadership over their lives. And it's so important for us to recognize that, like, brothers and sisters, our battle in, in this life is not against uh, rulers and powers and governments. Our, our battle as Christians is not against systemic racism. It's not against oppression uh, from uh, liberal governments. It, it's, it's not, our battle is not against economic disparity. There are so many things that we can fight against. Brothers and sisters, our greatest battle in this life is against our own hearts. That's really where the battle is fought. And we can justify, in fact, cover up over our own idols by declaring our freedom. Peter warns us not to do. We can easily do that and, and do so in rebellion against God. Making it look like we're serving God when in reality we're just serving our own wills. That very will that we were supposed to die to. And just as Jesus didn't come to set his people free from wicked Roman oppressors, and they were wicked, they were awful. Nothing compared to what our government is like. Jesus didn't set his people free from them. He came to set us free from our slavery to sin. And this is why there's no greater evidence that a person has been born again than when they willfully submit to their authorities. And I think it's most abundantly evident in the lives of those who submit to those who are unjust and even cruel. Because why else would they do it? It's the evidence that shows they don't live for themselves. And when they do, because it's evident, the unbelieving world stands by and wonders, where does your hope come from that you would willingly endure this? And it finds favor with God. So there are a number of reasons why Christians should submit. We, we seek to honor God. We recognize His authority on our life. We want His favor. They're all there in the text. The question, though, is how do we grow in submission? As you guys know, when we're born again, yes, we're set free from our love of self. But that doesn't mean self just dies. And it rages against us all the time. I believe that probably every single one of us has faced really difficult leaders. I would say the majority of the leaders I've had in my life have not been men that I trusted, nor did they make good decisions. And, and I questioned them often. But just because I disagree with them, that doesn't give freedom to just seek our own will. For me to seek my own will. And so we need to consider how can we be more submissive. This is what's going to lead to more effective evangelism. This is what's going to lead to the favor, having favor with God. How can we grow in it? Well, I think, first of all, let's recognize that not being submissive Sorry, it's not being unsubmissive to legitimately express grievances. Again, we live in a culture and government that allows us to to, um, call out leaders for bad decisions, for bad leadership. And we should take advantage of provided means for expressing grievances against authorities. In fact, in many cases, we have a responsibility to express our frustrations. And so it's biblical to seek grievance in accordance with laws. We can verbalize dissenting opinions. We can write letters to uh, political leaders. We can persuade people with wisdom. We can even protest, pursue litigation. There's There's a handful of things we can do. And again, we don't do this so much to defend our rights as Americans, but... We do this to persuade leaders to do what's right 
in accordance with what God would be pleased with. We're servants of him. We're not servants of our American constitutional freedoms. Doesn't mean we can't enjoy those freedoms. Doesn't mean we shouldn't defend those freedoms. But as Christians, our loyalty is ultimately to God. What does he want us to do? Secondly, recognize that resistance to authority is usually instigated by an idol of the heart. And when you, when you, when an authority asks you to do something that you don't want to do, instead of just thinking through reasons to defend your reason not to submit, instead ask, why am I having an issue with this? What is it that, that, I, that I'm rebelling against? Is it that they're really asking me to do something that God is going to be displeased with? Well, if so, don't do it. But more often than not, this is actually going to be the best way to show you what are the things interfering with your worship with God? What are the things that you love? Because if you're, you have a hard time submitting, it's probably because this has more of a, a sway in your heart than the Word of God. And it's important just to be honest with that. Because if you don't put that to death, you're just going to get a hardened heart. It's a genuine threat. So ask yourself, are you serving God or using your freedom as a covering for your idol? Again, submission really is an issue of worship. It's not about control. It's not about order, although it has those effects. It's about who do you worship? And that's why Christ is just a, the supreme example. He wasn't a coward. He wasn't threatened by any man. Saw that in the way he spoke to Pharisees. He told the truth. Told the truth to Pilate. But he also completely submitted to God the Father. Also, I think it's helpful just to remember our purpose. It's very easy to, to get caught up in, in thinking that oh, we're, we're put on this earth to achieve the, the American dream. To be healthy, wealthy, to be respected, to be admired. Brothers and sisters, we're not. We were called to be Christ-like. That's our calling. And when you realize that and you're put in a challenging situation, it's like the floodlight should go on. This is my opportunity to become more like Christ, to serve Him and to honor Him. It's an opportunity. And it's an opportunity for the unbelieving world to see we're real. That's why the testimonies of early church martyrs were so powerful. Because there's no reason they would have become martyrs, witnesses to the truth of the gospel, except that they lived no longer for themselves but for Him. It was glorious evidence of their worship of God. I think, finally, remember the perfect justice of God. Remember that He sees everything, not just what we do, but He sees the hearts. He sees the motives of every man, both ours and our enemies. And He's going to bring every deed, in fact, every word, He's going to bring into judgment. It's important to recognize that, that Romans 13, we looked at submitting to governing authorities. Do you remember what verses right, uh, immediately precede Romans 13? The end of Romans 12? God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And then he says, submit to governing authorities. You understand, the, you, you see the connection? Brothers and sisters, we don't have to defend ourselves. We got one who can do a lot more damage than a person with a protest sign. And we just need to trust that he will do it. He will enact vengeance and justice as he sees fit. And he will use even wicked men to bring about glorious good. Again, Christ is a perfect example. God sees everything. And he knows how to deal with bad rulers. Just think about all the kings of Israel and Judah. Pharaoh. Right? He raised up Pharaoh and then he disciplined Pharaoh pretty severely. Even the man of lawlessness in 1 Thessalonians, it emphasizes the fact that God will bring him up. God knows how to deal with unjust rulers. Nebuchadnezzar, Saul, David. Right? God dealt with David. You guys know what David did to Uriah the Hittite. 
God disciplined him. So this is true of even believers. God knows how to discipline believers. It's not our job to do it. We can have freedom in that. It's, God is a much greater force to deal with than our uh, rebellion. Under this too, the perfect justice of God, recognize God's going to repay everyone who suffers unrighteously. God sees it. He sees what you've had to face. And He will repay you. He will have mercy upon you. Right? Matthew 5.11. In the Beatitudes, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in him, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is, this is not platitudes. Jesus is giving rock solid foundational truth. This is, this is more solid than FDIC. You can trust this. Rejoice and be glad when persecuted unjustly. This is a good thing. This finds favor with God. There is no greater reward in all the world than that. Heavenly Father, we want to find favor with you. And yet we also acknowledge it is impossible for us to agree to submit to anybody we agree, disagree with without your grace. Father, make us a humble people that have no swagger, that are not driven by pride, that aren't driven by our own will, insisting on our own rights, but a people who have wholeheartedly submitted themselves to you. Because we recognize, not to us, not to us, God, but to your name belong glory. And we look forward to that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you alone deserve worship and glory and honor and praise. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.